the football neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports but little about soccer journeys through the 2018-19 Premier League season to discover a team to root for. Welcome to the Football Neophytes podcast. Hello. It's Chris and Nate here, and we are checking in on Burnley FC this week, coming off a super exciting win and a uh, forgettable, we won't even maybe reference it again, uh, loss yesterday. But We'll focus on the positives, uh, and we have Natalie Bromley. She is a, a podcast host of the No Nay Never podcast and a huge Burnley supporter. Natalie, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, and so where are you currently? Are you in Burnley? Is Burnley a city? I, um, I mean, we are just... It's, this is a valid question. I have no idea where we, Burnley is. As Americans, what it is. we basically <laughs> know about London, Manchester, and that's it. <laughs> like a couple, a couple cities, but after that, we are lost. So help us... That is, that's fine. Yes, where, so you're in Burnley... I am, yes. Well, to be fair, most people in the UK actually don't know where Burnley is, so this may be a good educational slot for many people. Um, I think most people in London don't really know about what exists outside of London, so you're in good company. Oh, okay. um, if, you picture, if you picture the United Kingdom, we are in the north. So um, actually, you referenced Manchester and Liverpool there a moment ago. We're in the northwest of England, and um, not that far away from Manchester, actually. Just uh, Manchester's probably our capital city. Um, the UK is made up of obviously England, Ireland, Scotland and uh, Wales. We're in England and in England there are counties. So I guess I guess you can reference counties to states. So we're all set up and Lancashire is our county. Now inside each county you can have cities. So um, I guess your major, I mean, you could probably have cities like New York City is a city, obviously your, your huge, great big cities in your state. And then you have towns, you have villages, you have hamlets. Yeah. So Burnley is in the Northwest of England. It's in the county of Lancashire and it is a town. So it hasn't yet made city status, although we are trying to get it, I think. Um, apparently in the UK, this is quite an interesting bit of trivia, apparently you need to have a cathedral to be a city. And we don't have a cathedral. So I might, I might change turf more to a cathedral. Those take centuries to build, so you might, yeah. <laughs> you might never make that city status. Not in your life. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, you know what English like ridiculous um, history is, and all the kings and queens and all the old ridiculous like fourth century <laughs> rules that we have. Apparently, that's still a thing. So that's where we are, and, and right now I'm sat in in my humble abode in Burnley, and uh, yeah, in a nice, quite warm springs day in uh, in Lancashire. Wonderful. All right, so so here's my question: Is it just a total coincidence that your last name is almost the name of the city, or or I mean, how did that play? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm a Bromley. I may as well cheer for Burnley. Hey, exactly. Uh, no, actually, it really isn't. And actually, uh, Bromley's my married name. So I, I started oh. life with a different name. Um, but interestingly, pardon? Did that help with finding your husband? <laughs> 
uh, I really probably should have thought that. Well, actually, no, but more, more importantly, I don't think he was, he wasn't a Burnley fan when I first met him. He was an Arsenal fan, weirdly, because he's not from London. Um, and we soon, yeah, we soon knocked that out of him and made him, made him a claret. Um, yeah. But interestingly, there is a town in Southern England called Bromley. It's in Kent. Um, so I like to think that maybe I'm some kind of queen or royal owner of Bromley. I suspect not, but it'd be nice to dream. Tell us how you became a fan. I mean, did you grow up there in Burnley? Yes. Tell us about yeah. that early yeah, look, experiences of the club. Yeah, in, in the UK, we there is no such thing as, well, in most places, there's no such thing as choosing your football team. You are born into your football team and it, they are passed down by generations. Um, if you ignore Manchester United, because everybody in the world supports Manchester United, all the other teams in the UK, um, the football league teams, are town teams. So when you come into Burnley as a town, everybody in the, in the town supports the club. You don't see Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, you don't see Madrid shirts wandering around the ten, town centre. All the kids in Burnley and all the schools um, are wearing Burnley shirts. And at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon when the games kick off, the, the whole town up sticks and camps to turf more. And, and it's part of the community. And the players and the club go into the schools, they go into the colleges, they go into the hospitals, they go into the churches. And it's very much a community club. So my dad um, supported Burnley since he was nine years of age. And so that was, he was born in 1940. So he's been a supporter since 1940. And uh, I think he wanted boys, got two girls, and neither of us really had a choice. Both me and my sister grew up as Burnley season ticket holders. So I've been following Burnley myself since I was at primary school. So I was nine myself when I got my first season ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have a choice from around here. You, you grow up, you know, people, people born in Sheffield are either Sheffield United or Sheffield Wednesday fans. People born in Liverpool are either Liverpool or Everton fans. Manchester, well, apart from United, people born in Manchester are City fans. You know, you, you choose the club where you were born and raised that's how it works and that happens here a bit in the states i feel like there's so much movement of like people moving and living in different places that you end up usually carrying your team with you especially in a town like phoenix where we're both based where you know it's a younger city um and a lot of the sports teams here are are younger franchises so you know we were talking about baseball before we started recording and uh, the Diamondbacks have only been around for 20 years. And so uh, everyone had a team before then. And so their, their, their fandom is a bit divided, right? Where you don't have as much history as, as you do there in the, U, in the UK. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Clarets. You mentioned Clarets. We don't, I, I don't even know what a Claret is. I'm assuming it's <laughs> a name. Uh, help us understand the Claret, where that came from. Yeah, well, well, most Burnley, you, you must have come across this so far in this adventure that you're on. Most football clubs have got nicknames. So, yeah, um, yeah again, we, we, mentioned, we mentioned the Sheffield teams before. They're the Blades and the Owls. And a lot of them are connected to, to the clubs themselves. Ours really isn't that interesting. Um, it's linked to the shirt. We're playing Claret and Blue. Um, Claret is a, 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 a very distinct shade of purple. So if you look at all of our home shirts, they are usually predominantly um, like a purpley shirt with light blue sleeves. So we're, we're playing Claret and Blue. So we nicknamed the Clarets. And we have been since the eight. I think actually we were founded um, in the 1800s. And we I think we started life with some weird black and yellow shirt maybe i think we it took us about four or five years before we settled on claret and blue but since then so since the turn of last century we've been the clarets got it okay 
So there's two things I didn't know last week. One, that Burnley was an EPL team, and two, that Claret was a color. So I appreciate the There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Every day is a learning day. That's right. <laughs> Um, and tell us about uh, Turf Moor, uh, the hit, a little bit of the history. I think one of the things that's appealing to me in, in choosing a club is you have these I- iconic stadiums, uh, these beautiful old stadiums that have needed renovation over the years. But you've got the Etihad on the one hand, and um, tell us where does Turf Moor fit in there? Has, is it an older stadium? Is it newer? Help, Yeah. Just curious. Yeah, it, it's it's a very old stadium. We moved um, to Turf Moor in 1883. It's a very old stadium. Now, obviously, it goes without saying that over the years it's been modernised and it's been moved, it's been renovated. Um, but back in the war, post-war years, especially around the 1940s, it was a proper traditional um, football ground, all standing, very low level and packed absolutely thousands. I think it was about 45, 50,000 fans used to be able to get in there. Yeah, thanks. In fact, I'm just looking now. I just did a quick fact check while you were saying that because I wasn't 100% sure. I record attendance back when it was all standing back in the, the early, um, actually this is back in 1924, so 50, 54,755. Um, now as, as football in the UK has evolved and has developed and people pay more attention to people's safety and the um, comfort of fans football stadiums are now all seater so over the years turf Moor has had you know the odd stand built on it um, we've tended to develop stands so you, obviously it's a square it's got four stands in it and each they don't connect to each other so each one's very separate there's gaps in each corner um, and over the years we've tended to build a new stand rather than anything else and the, the most famous one back in I think I think it was about the 90s that it got demolished was the old long side so if you imagine the football pitch you've got the goals at either side the really long edge well that used to be the long side and it was really it was all terracing and um very low and it got demolished to make way for the new james hargrove stand which is the double tiered seating stand um i think most people who come to turf more call it what we say in english football a proper football ground Uh um we have some fantastic stadium now in the uk and some of the the bigger clubs are are getting funding for huge sports stadia let's look at the etihad and the emirates stadium for example and obviously spurs new ground next season as well um but there are a few grounds out there certainly in the lower leagues when you go down but there are a few now still in the in the premier league that are real traditional old football grounds and it's just seeped in history and and it, it's my home and it stood in the same place as well interestingly it always has done um over the years maybe some houses have been demolished to expand and things but it's still it's still in the same location it was back in 1883 wow right in the middle of the town center mm. that's amazing that's very sweet so who's your guys's rival is it an is it like a natural rivalry or is it all just geographical based most rivals most rivalries in in english football are geographical Um, that's very much how it's happened over the years Um, and i think a lot of it stems from way back in the um early part so let's say around the 1940s 1950s um but the boxing day fixture so boxing day actually don't know if you guys have this in 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 america the day after christmas day so the 26th of december's boxing day um and that was back in the 40s, 50s, a huge um, football day. But it was 
a day for derbies. So football derbies are your local rivalries. And the idea being that obviously the football league didn't want fans to have to travel long distances over the Christmas period when it's a time for families and, and the holidays. So you always played a local team. And, and I think a lot of the songs and a lot of um, the rivalries were formed from those Boxing Day fixtures. Um, there are some man-made um, or maybe... Um, I guess, rivalries born out of, of uh, title challenges. So obviously Manchester United, Liverpool is a huge rivalry and yeah. Manchester United consider Liverpool their main rivals over Manchester City, which I find odd, but that's because of the dominance fight in UK football. Ours is definitely geographical. Um, and our, I can barely bring myself to say their name, so you can make me swear live on, on this podcast. But our major rivalry is Blackburn Rovers. Oh, and they're just saying their name goes right through me. Um, there are, I think, is there 20 miles that separate us? I don't yeah. think it's that, that much, yeah. And it's called the East Lanks Derby. So um, I think for your listeners, we've got to kind of paint a little bit of a picture here. Lancashire's quite a big county, but there are a massive, massive number of football grounds in a very, very short geographical area. So you've got in Lancashire alone, you've got Burnley, Blackburn, Preston, Accrington, Blackpool, um, Fleetwood, Morecambe, and then a little bit further afield, you've got Bolton, Rochdale. My goodness, there are loads. And they can just literally be separated by one train stop away they're not very far at all um and each one has their own rivalries so burnley and blackburn are the main rivals in the east lancashire side central lancashire is preston and blackpool um and, and everybody has um has their really fierce rivals now um interestingly a good a good fact about this both blackburn and burnley were founder members of the football league so our rivalry goes right but we're back to 18 1800s um only three fixtures now in English football where the away fans are not permitted by the police or the FA to travel to the away fixtures by themselves because it's considered to be too dangerous. And Burnley Blackburn is one of the three. Wow. So when we, yeah, exactly. So when we go to Blackburn away, bearing in mind it's, tw- it's 20 miles, it's not even that far. It's, you could, you know, it's, it's, it's one junction down the motorway. It's, it's ridiculous. So people all have to, if you get a ticket, you can, you've got to buy a ticket through the club and you've got to buy your travel through the club. And you all meet on, down at Turf Moor about four hours before the game starts. And then you all get put into assigned coaches, usually about 30, 40 coaches. And um, they close the motorway to the police and they convoy all of the coaches all the way down this one stop down the motorway and get all of the fans they close the roads in Blackburn so the Blackburn fans can't get anywhere near them they ferry them all into the ground get all the Burnley fans into Ewood Park um, and they have to be in and locked in two hours before the game starts and that's exactly the same but in reverse when Blackburn come and play at Turf Moor and you cannot get to the ground in any other way I know it's ridiculous right in in what 2019 I think we've all grown up a little bit but yeah I think it's um, sorry go on Oh, I was just saying that's amazing. Now, is, yeah. is Blackburn, what, what league are they in right now? Or what, uh, yeah, what, uh, are they in the championship? Where are they at? Because they're not in the Hilariously, they're in the championship. Ha, a long way they stay there. Um, they have only just been promoted to the championship absolutely fantastically, which was just the best period of football ever. Um, they've really struggled recently and they dropped down to League One, which was just 
brilliant and we we got a place in europe and they're in league one and it was just fantastic um i have absolutely no problems loading it over them as much as i possibly can because as with most rivalries um they had a spell where they were what they deemed to be superior over us for a long time god did we not hear the end of it so quite frankly now is retribution and it's it feels very nice to say it um i, I just i can't stand them i really it, it pains me to talk about them they're, they're i hate them they're a horrible club horrible fans I don't ever want them to go out of business because I always want there to be that rivalry, but I just would like them to be worse than us forever. Uh, well, I won't make you talk about them much more, but I am curious, is there a standing match each, each year or, um, no. or only if you're in the same league? Correct. Yeah, the latter. So um, we haven't played them now for, I don't even think we played them in the cup last year, maybe the year before. Like sometimes the FA Cup or the League Cup will throw up a derby, um, which is hilarious because we get to beat them again and they, they have grand designs that they think that they can be better than us for a night uh, and they're not. But yeah, we've not, been in the, we've not been in the same league now for a good few years. So we haven't played them for, what, four years now? Four or five years? Um, so yeah, long may that continue. Yeah. Um, so one of the most beautiful, brilliant things about English football is the chants, the songs. There's, you know, the one made up about players and opposing players and your rival and all that. So is there, is there a, a, a chant or a song that you sing when the players come onto the pitch or at key moments of, of a match or, or if not, is, is there one that's your favorite? Um, there are lots of different chants. Some of them are um, ones that appear only for certain seasons. So last season, for example, was the birth of the chant, we're all going on a European tour, which we, we started probably two thirds through the season but when it looked like we were going to clinch seven place and, and qualify for European football. That probably won't ever be sung again. Um, this, <laughs> ever. The, the, league, the season we went, we won the championships. So that must have been 2014. Um, we went from Boxing Day to the end of the season. We went 23 games undefeated. So there was a specific chant that went through that. Again, that won't be repeated. Um, there is a core group of songs that we sing that have been around for years. And the main one, actually, which ties in quite nicely, is the name of our podcast, Known and Ever. So there is a song, I don't know if you guys have it in America, it's called The Wild Rover. Um, and and it, it actually sings, and it's known and ever, known and ever, no more. Will I play the Wild Rover? No, never, no more. And both Burnley and Blackburn sing that as their major song, oh. um, but with each other. And we don't use Burnley or Blackburn in the chants. We use another B word, which is not suitable for family ears. <laughs> so we're not going to say that. Um, it's terrible, isn't it? It's, I always find it hilarious. I say this to my dad. I said, Dad, you started taking me on the football at nine years of age, and you just condemned me to the worst language ever. I've got such a potty mouth now because I follow football. It's shocking. Um, so yeah, that, that's the song. Like working business jobs, like super professional jobs during the day. It is. Well, I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm a, I'm a corporate lawyer as well. And I've got a, quite an important firm that I work for. So obviously I'm on my best behavior quite rightly during the week. Yeah. And my bosses always say to me that on a Monday, they can always tell when I've been home for the weekend for the football. Um, because actually my firm's in Manchester. So we were talking about that Manchester connection. So I, I could travel. I work in Manchester city center. And they always say to me, we can, we can always tell Natalie when you've been home for the weekend, even as a football, because your accent goes really Northern and <laughs> really broad, very that thick colloquial accent. And 
and you you've got a potty mouth so it's like, oh no this is horrendous so must must keep an eye on that so yeah none and ever none and ever is our main song and uh it's i, I like the fact that actually both us and blackburn sing it but at each other because i don't think that's very common i think um most teams have got their main song but i don't think there are that many instances where their major rival have the same song but swap the lyrics around so it's good yeah that's really that's a that's a unique that's a unique feature it seems like mm. uh, before we talk about the match specifically and there is a question i guess this does relate to the match in some ways but uh what what happened to joe hart like i <laughs> I, I don't know I, again, my journey through English football is, is really like short and not very deep, but uh, that's a name I recognize as being like the English club goalie and he's on yes. your club, but he's not playing. So no. tell me a little bit about that, then we can move into uh, the match from the weekend. Sure. So yeah, Joe Hart was at one stage in his career, England's number one goalkeeper, and he was a phenomenal player at the top of his game. He broke all records in Premier League and England um, um, records for, for, for his play and his shots and the titles that he won. Um, really, really great player. Um, quite a polarising character, though, in terms of his personality. Um, I this is really awful because this sounds like it's a massive character assassination and, and, and I don't know the guy, so this sounds potentially harsh, but he, he's, he doesn't come across as a particularly likable character. So I don't think he's ever really endeared himself to fans, no matter what club he's been at. Um, and then as it, as sort of, he, he left the peak of his career and started to, to descend a little bit. He, he was famous for some absolute howlers in games and cost his, his team some quite valuable points. And then he had a shocking time when Pep Guardiola first went to Manchester city and he shipped him out on loan straight away. So it's quite fashionable in English football to hate on Joe Hart and to take the mickey out of him. Uh-huh. Now, the problem with that is that that, spell in his so that I guess bad PR spell has coincided with a a significant drop in form in that he is getting on a little bit now I think he's 31 um and he isn't the keeper that he was at the top of his game and then you know players do that they get to peak and then they drop off and they retire that's how professional sports work um so he's he's had a really rough few years now um for those people so those of your listeners who don't know much about england goalkeepers burnley actually have a very selfish roster of 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 english keepers at the moment in that we actually have three-fifths of england's first choice goalkeepers on our books so we have tom heaton (laughs) nick pope and joe hart who all they're all England keepers and Gareth Southgate selects them for England and they're all playing with us. We've got, and we've got what's recognized as probably the country's leading goalkeeping coaches and staff at Turf Moor. Um, so, you know, that's why people come to us and Gareth Southgate comes to us and, and picks his keepers from us. Um, we were then very unfortunate in that Tom Heaton, the last year, um, at the beginning of last season, dislocated his shoulder in, in one of the, I think the third game in the season at home against Liverpool and was out for the season. Oh. Um, and Nick Pope had to step in and was absolutely phenomenal last season. And then he then became an England goalkeeper. And then at the start of this season, in the weirdest twist of fate ever, um, Joe Hart was coming. Um, Nick Pope went to the World Cup with England and was part of the England squad that, that did fantastically well in the World Cup in the summer. So when he came back, he was obviously having a break when we were playing the early Euro qualifiers because he'd been in the World Cup. Yeah. So Tom Heaton was fit again and coming back. 
Tom Heaton had a little niggle in the warm-up for the Aberdeen away game, the first European game. So Nick Pope had to dust his gloves off and say, well, I'll have to play, but even though he wasn't prepared to. Ten minutes into that game, he dislocated his shoulder and oh. he's out for this season, which is, I, I know, right? Like how, that is the weirdest sport. That's going to be a football trivia at some yeah. point, which I swear. Um, and I think because we were, everybody else was in pre-season then, we had to start really early for the Europa League qualifiers and I think I think John Dyche just panicked because Tom Heaton was still a couple of weeks off being back two to three weeks off being back um, Nick Port was ending up out for the rest of the season and our third and fourth choice keepers were not up to Premier League standard they were very much squad keepers um, and he panicked and, and Joe Hart became on on the the market and he, he I think he got suckered in a little bit by his name and and brought him in and it really 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 did not work for him um, I think if we're honest, I don't think technically he did an awful lot wrong, but he never, again, going back to this question about him being quite a polarising character and not coming across as that likeable a chap, um, he didn't gel with our players at all. And, and we suspect there was perhaps some unrest in the dressing room. And eventually, yeah, the, our early form to the season, a lot of people directly blamed Joe Hart for, um, for just messing with that very tight-knit group of players that we have. And then after the Boxing Day game where we, we shipped five goals against Everton and looked the worst I think I've ever seen us play under Shaw Dyche, he dropped him, brought Tom Heaton back and we've never looked back. So um, it's a tricky one, really. And I, and I feel for the guy, but I just, I just feel like, unfortunately, Joe Hart's Premier League career is over. Yeah. Um, I feel like he has to drop to the Championship now. But unfortunately, I think his, his, his ego, and, and I would stress I'd pause here, I've never had a problem with professional sports people having an ego. I think that I think that the top the top professionals at the absolute top of their games have an ego. That's why they are as good as they are. They have that confidence, that swagger, and they have that unwavering self belief. So I don't have a problem with that. But it, I think he's done now. I don't think his performances can match what he thinks in his head. So I think we've we've probably seen the end of Joe Hart at uh, Premier League level. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's always easy to have a have a scapegoat. And when you finish seventh the year before and then start as poorly as Burnley started, it makes sense that someone's going to catch the brunt of that. And then if it's a guy who is polarizing already, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not surprising that that's kind of where things landed. Yeah, so we want to get into the, uh, the Tottenham Hotspurs match now. Um, so I, as I was watching the game, you know, again, I know hardly anything about Premier League. Uh, I couldn't help but think two things. One, man, Harry Kane's really good. And two, wow, he was really offsides on his goal. <laughs> so wondering if you could chime in on that one. Is there no offsides on a throw-in or what was the deal there? Yeah, no, you can't be offside from a throw-in. There are um, a few instances where you can't be offside. One's a goal kick, one's a throw-in, one's a dead ball situation. I think there's a fourth, a really weird one, and I can't think what it is. But yeah, no, the, the, you can't be offside from a throw-in. Okay. So there was, yeah, there's no offside there. We, we, can, we can roll that one out straight away. What we, what we don't want is, and we'll come to this in a minute, what you can't do in a throw-in is let the fourth official take the ball, throw it to... Um, <laughs> um, a Tottenham Hotspur forward who's throwing and running himself down the line, then let him steal 10 yards further forward than it should have been in and then score a, an early goal. But, you know, not that I'm bitter about that. Yeah, um, that's, that's what I was so... <laughs> I, I was so confused. Once I... So, 
I always watch the first match of the day because it's early in the morning here in the States. And so my kids are all still sleeping at that point. But usually they wake up around halftime. And so the second half of every match, I got maybe, I get between 50%, around 50% attention on the match. And so I was super confused because I didn't understand the offsides rule. So I was like, wait, why are they mad about the offsides, but the commentators aren't talking about it? I couldn't understand why everyone's mad until I listened to your guys' podcast and heard you kind of break down where he threw in was like 10 yards further than he should have. But then also this, this deal with the fourth official touching the ball. So explain that a little bit more. Like the fourth official touch, I didn't see any of that either. I didn't notice it. No. Most of us in the ground didn't either. Um, so as, and again, just for, by way of, of some background here, we have what we call ball boys all around the football pitch. And they are usually the kids who are part of the youth rank setups at any club and they get to work on match days. You know, it's just part of their education, part of their training and be around the first team. And there's usually about five or six of them all scattered around the pitch and they sit there watching the action and their role is to get a ball when it goes out of play and get it back to the, um, the, 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 the footballer who's going to take the throw in straight away. Um, so we, we break this down in two ways and, and on, in space when we were watching the game live, we were most concerned about the amount of space that Danny Rose seemed to steal. You're supposed to take the throw in from where the ball goes out of play. You're supposed to have both feet on the ground and you throw it in and, and that's where the action goes. Um, and there was just this whole movement that nobody was ready for. Now, we've got to look at this in the context as well, that our players were fast asleep. They just did not see this coming. And, and so, that, you know, there's some criticism there from our defenders. They, they, didn't, they weren't sharp enough. Um, they could really have closed him down. So let's put, park that to one side because, you know, they do have to deal with that and say, well, that's probably the only mistake they made in the game defensively. They, they definitely switched off for a couple of seconds. Um, taking the two elements... <laughs> When you first look at the amount of space that Danny Rose steals in the throwing, I'm not sure I have a huge problem with it. Um, at the time, it looked like there was loads because he was running at the same time. So, it, you know, it, it happened so quickly. It felt like he'd run halfway down the pitch. So, we, and obviously, you've just conceded a goal and you've got yourselves 1-0 up against Spurs, which is, you know, against the run of play. And we're all a little bit annoyed and the emotions take over you. When I watched the highlights after the game, I went home and immediately replayed the whole 90 minutes at home so I could watch it again. I was a bit euphoric because we'd won as of well. Actually, if you look at the, the, the blades of grass, so where the, the, usually about 10 yards of those blades of grass where the colouring changes, he probably only steals eight yards. So actually, when you look at it, he really doesn't steal that much space. Yeah. And actually, it, when you watch football regularly, you'll st- you, you guys will probably start to notice this now that this incident's happened. Nobody ever takes the throw in from where it was. They're always, they always take one or two steps. So he's probably only done twice as much as everybody does anyway. And I'm not one for whinging about something that somebody does against us when I know full well that our players do it as much as they possibly can and get away with it anyway. So I'm not going to be too concerned about that. What I am bothered about is the fourth official's role in it. So if you imagine at a football game, you've got the referee, the guy in the middle, who's in the middle of play. You've got a linesman on either side. And then we have a fourth official and he is the guy who deals with substitutions. He has got a microphone directly to the um, referee and he's, he's kind of like the guy who assists them all and he's, he's a backup for everybody. Is he the guy who holds the sign with the numbers? Like showing- yes, correct. Okay. okay. 
Yeah. So he he holds up the substitutions, the numbers coming on and off. He holds up extra time, so four minutes extra time at the end of the half. And he does a lot of the, I guess, the admin of the game, but he's also there to support the referee as well with decisions. Um, if there's any, you know, trouble at the game, he's, he's you know, he's there to help them as well. So if you imagine all of these officials, there's four officials there. At no point should they ever, ever interfere with play. And I think that's fair. Nobody would expect that. Yeah. What the fourth official does, so the ball comes out of play directly on the halfway line and it comes at speed towards him. And this is a human instinct. He picks up the ball and throws it back at Danny Rose. Now, the minute he does it, he turns to Sean Dyche and goes, oh my God. And Dyche says, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, kill him about that because it, it was a human instinct he wasn't thinking he switched off for a minute and threw it and he knew he'd made a mistake but the problem with that throwing was Danny Rose was running down the wing to run out where the halfway line was bearing in mind that the momentum is with Spurs because they've just gone one nil down so they're trying to get the urgency and the momentum going to find an equalizer so he's running down the hour half to go and get the ball as he's running the fourth official throws the ball at him So he's got momentum at that point. So he can just carry on running, stop and throw the ball. And at the same time in his head, he sees an opportunity to take a free, quick free kick. Um, Hurricane's looking at him already saying, I'm on here. Our Burnley guys, defenders have gone to sleep. And that whole momentum might have only been two seconds, but it allows Danny Rose to steal 10 yards take the initiative of the um, early free kick and Harry Kane to run. He doesn't need any incentive. He's a ridiculously good player. And then they equalize. How that should have happened, Danny Rose runs. The the fourth official leaves that ball. It bobbles and and hits the back wall. The ball boy runs over, gets it, passes it to Danny Rose, who by this point has reached the halfway line, has stopped, taken the ball, turned round, his feet are on the floor, and he looks at who he's going to throw it to. And then he throws the ball. Yeah. Just in that two or three seconds, the momentum's gone. The Burnley um, back four have switched back on and the, the opportunity for the early free kick has, has gone. So it sounds, a, I don't want this to sound like sour grapes because, you know, sometimes you get goals conceded against world-class sides. But to me, the thing is, is that these players don't need extra help from linesmen and, and fourth officials. Right. They're good enough on their own to score all the goals. So that was definitely my problem with, with that equaliser. And to me, that's way more controversial than, their, than our opening goal, which was very difficult to see whether it was a goal kick or a, a corner, which is what Pochettino, the Spurs boss, was whinging about. Yeah, and I, I, remember, that as, I remember that as well. And I think this is what this podcast is about for me, right, is like understanding some of the finer intricacies of the game. Most Americans, we played soccer at some point growing up or played football growing up at some point in our lives. So we understand some of the basic rules. Maybe we've forgotten some of them. But these like finer intricacies that I notice in a match are like super important. So to hear that all explained is super helpful helpful for me and hopefully for whoever else is is listening to this podcast. So. <laughs> um Great match. I mean, I think there's a couple things. Uh, was the header scored by uh, Barnes or Wood? I forget who. Um, the header was Wood. Was yeah, it was the first one was the header from the corner. Yeah, Barnes was the tap-in from the, the okay. sliced cross by Goodmanson. Yeah. So I think that there's a couple things. That Wood header, and this is another thing I'm learning as I watch. Like with headers, it seems, or, you know, balls that are up in the air, a lot of times you'll hear people say, who wanted it more? Like, it looks like this guy 
just wanted that ball more. And that's what I noticed about that header is beautiful, mm. brilliant, brilliant header. But it also seemed to be like uh, an image or a metaphor for the, for the final uh, 15 of the game where it really just looked to me like Burnley wanted to win that match more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I had, I had my own theory about this actually. And, and I spoke about this a little bit on our podcast this week. You, you've got to bear in mind at the moment, Spurs are what third in the league. They, they've yeah. pretty much secured champions league football. They're probably going to finish third. They're definitely going to finish top four, but coming into this game, there was a bit of a hype around the media where they'd built up this weird stat that, um, and it was right, but nobody had actually realized this, that if, if Spurs had beaten us on Saturday and United beat Liverpool later on on Sunday, Spurs actually had the title in their own hands. So obviously you've got to have, they've got to win. Yeah, because essentially... Because um, they still had a match against uh, Liverpool ahead of them. Correct. And, and, and Manchester City as well. So yes. yeah, if yeah, that, that's how it went. So if, if Spurs beat, it was very specific circumstances, Spurs beat um, Burnley in the early kickoff, which they were expected to do. Yep. Super Sunday, Manchester United beat Liverpool. Spurs then win all final 11 games. They win the title. Doesn't matter what anybody else does, they win the title. Wow. And somebody, yeah, somebody at Sky Sports had picked this up about a, a couple of days before the game and everybody ran with it. Because obviously, you know, at this stage of the season, if you can suddenly get a three-way title challenge rather than two, it's got to be good for the game, right? Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So I use that at the end. When... And I think this probably explains why Burnley needed it, wanted it more in the, the final 15 than Spurs did. Once they went ahead, fair enough, they equalised, what, four minutes later. But actually, if you analyse it on that basis, a draw was no good to Spurs. Mm. They might as well have lost as drawn because a draw doesn't give them the result they need. Yeah. And either, either draw or lose, they're still finishing third and they've got Champions League football and, and that's the end of it. They absolutely had to win. So to me, in those, once we'd... Once, we, once they'd equalised, they never really got themselves going. But certainly when we got our noses in front, they just didn't even bother. They, they, you could see the body language changed in the, in the team and they just the energy dropped and they just didn't even try. And it's definitely because they realised, well, we're not going to score two here. We're probably not going to win 3-2. And actually, does it really matter if we draw? No. And that will explain why that desire, I think, wasn't there for Spurs. Now, on the flip side, Burnley have found themselves having to get pulled well they've been pulled into a relegation fight and are having to drag themselves out of it those three points were way more important to us than just one point even though one point would have been a bonus and I think that explains that there was the Burnley players just genuinely had more to gain from three points than Spurs did from a draw that's yeah that totally makes sense that's interesting so I'm looking at the standings now and and I think you guys are in 15th as of this morning I, I do believe um, last year, it seems like you guys had a pretty good year finishing seventh. Has this season just been a, a letdown to you or what, what, like, what are your feelings right now compared to last season and how do you kind of project the team going forward? Uh, no, I think when you are Burnley Football Club, last season has to be seen in isolation as an anomaly. Um, the reality of Burnley in the Premier League with the budget we have, the size of the town, we're the smallest town in the Premier League, we're only a little club. Um, we might be founder, founder members of the Football League, so we've got a huge amount of history, but we aren't one of the big boys and we haven't got any investment behind us. So some of the big top six sides, for example, have got huge investment outside of the television money. 
our television money is literally the only income that we we get and and those seasons where we're outside of the of the of the premier league we make a loss every year because the money's just not there in the championship um so the actual reality of, of life in the in in the premier league for burnley is really avoiding relegation every year and every now and again you'll have a blip um, like last year where the stars align for you you play fantastically well you avoid injuries and suspensions all your players are at the top of the game and anything can happen same as what happened to Leicester when they won the, the Premier League that was unexpected what was it a thousand to one shot yeah. um so this can't be a, a disappointment for us this season because last year was so unexpected and it won't be repeated in this current Premier League setup unless we won a cup a domestic cup we might find our way into Europe but we are very very unlikely to finish seventh in the Premier League ever again um, and the reality is is that at some point we will go down and not because we're a bad side not because Deitch has suddenly become a bad manager but there is a life cycle of um, the non-superstar teams not the top six um, and there is a life cycle and look at the Premier League at the moment the likes of Southampton that are, who are really struggling and potentially may go down you know they were pushing for Europe for four or five years ago in the championship we've got the likes of Stoke West Brom um, Leeds you know Ipswich massive massive Middlesbrough massive clubs who were Premier League um, teams not so long ago so yes at some point we will go down because our squad will get older Deitch might be might run out of ideas or he might get poached by another club and move somewhere else and we maybe get a manager who isn't as good um, so for us genuinely and this sounds incredibly unambitious but you can't underestimate how important and what a success maintaining your Premier League status is um it sounds strange especially i think in american sports that's probably quite unheard of for you in that um that would be quite a, a, a dull season <laughs> if you're just aiming to survive and i understand how that doesn't sit well with competitive sport watching but in, in until the balance of power in the premier league is spread out a bit and we lose this um real um, grip that the top six have got on everybody else and the dominance that they have it's genuinely all about surviving and hope for either a good cup run or like you say something like last season and you finish seventh that makes sense I guess, so i guess do you look at it like if let's say relegation does come upon you do you look on the bright side and go hey at least we get to go beat blackburn's butt or are you like dang it, we're right. <laughs> <laughs> it. Well, well it depends what if they get promoted the year we get relegated that would be oh. awful oh, oh gosh, gosh. Talk about that. i said we weren't gonna talk about it again gonna, i know i said we weren't gonna bring it up again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's a thought that's going to fester for the rest of the night. It's going to be oh, no, now and then. <laughs> it's all right. But yeah, I mean, I've got to say, um, it, it is very difficult because the, the Premier League is a hugely challenging league to play football in. Um, and it is all about survival and scrapping for every point. And, and, and you spend most of the season in a state of real stress. The Championship is an absolutely fantastic. So the Championship, for your listeners, is the second uh, league um, yep. in our, in our uh, structure. That is a fantastically competitive league with some really big names in there. The football is just thoroughly enjoyable and I love playing in the championship. The problem is, is that there's, no, there's not as much money. The money hasn't filtered its way down to the championship yet. It doesn't have as much media coverage. Outside of the um, United Kingdom, nobody cares about championship football. Uh, it's not like, like you guys are great. Like college football, for example, college basketball is huge. Yeah. Um, we just, we don't have that level of, engagement with um second tier sports in this country um so 
you know, even to the point that we're really struggling to get support. Well, actually, maybe more than it was, but the England ladies team, for example, and the Lionesses, they, they are more popular than they used to be. But trying to drum up the same level of support for our England national team that are ladies soccer, football, is really difficult. So, um, it, it, you know, it won't be the end of the world if we have to play in the championship again, but we will miss the money because we don't have any other investment. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So each, each week we, we finish the interview with the term of the week. There's lots of terms within, uh, within British football that I, Americans have no idea. Some of it's like clearly British. Like earlier you said, tear the Mickey out of him. And I have no clue what that means. That's not going to be a term of the week, but <laughs> stuff like that. That's like, that's a clearly British thing. But, um, this week, we want to ask about the term brace. In, in uh, hockey and soccer here in the States, we, we know what a hat trick is. Everyone knows what that is. But, but this term brace, I'd never heard of until I really started watching Premier League matches. So get, tell us what it is first, and then maybe if you understand where it came from. Yeah, sure. So a brace is literally when a player scores two goals. So they've, they've, they've won shy of a hat-trick. Um, in any one game, um, a player scores a brace, they've, they've scored two goals. Um, and it's actually quite a simple origin. It's from an old English phrase way back in, in the few centuries ago when we used to talk in old medieval England, English that I don't think anybody ever speaks anymore. Um, and a brace was a pair. So we, we now use the term pair, but back in, in medieval England, the, the, the term pair didn't exist. It was a brace. So if you had a pair of birds or a pair of animals, um, especially around hunting, um, they were called braces and, and that's, that's where it's come from. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Well, Natalie, we really appreciate you being on the podcast, explaining a lot about, about Burnley and uh, the, the match we got to see this, this past weekend. So we're really grateful for you coming on and uh, staying up to, to come on the podcast. You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I wish you guys all the best of luck with your Premier League adventure. Great. Thank you. If, you, if our, our listeners want to to dive in if you've been compelled to be a Burnley fan yourself you can listen to to a great podcast called No Nay Never um, if you want to follow Natalie it's at Natalie underscore Bromley N-A-T-A-L-I-E underscore Bromley you can also follow their podcast at No Nay Never so thanks so much have a good day thanks Natalie Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Football Neo Fights podcast. Our theme song is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, you can go to onemission.org donate and make a donation to this amazing organization. 100% of your donation will go directly to our projects and programs in the field and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org slash donate. Everything's done by me, except the intro. That's done by my beautiful wife, Emily. And of course, Chris lending his beautiful, sultry voice to the podcast itself. We're on iTunes and Google Play. Please rate us, comment, subscribe if you enjoy the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at footballneophyte. That's at footballneophyte without the E. We'll be back next week where we feature Watford. Until then, grace, peace, and love.
Okay, Drexy, what, what were you saying? So, so there's a fowl. He threw him down on his face on the grass. Uh-huh. And there's this guy wide. He was always going to get the ball, but the goalie got it. Harry Kane goal. He just takes the ball. Hey, that looks like old ball at our house. Yeah, he's back. Nobody could beat that. Dude, he is so fast. That was really bad defense. Y- yeah. Yeah, sun's in. Oh, is this our son? Um, the, the, yeah, the red team is the, the red goalie. That's, that's the red team's goalie. Actually, the, the guy wearing the red shirt is Tottenham's goalie. Oh, that's a sick jersey. That's cool, Dad. Do you like it? Tottenham is the white and blue. That's right. No, Burnley's home. There's this guy um, we went to breakfast and he was our server and um, he's 20 minutes away. He used to live in England and he was 20 minutes away from from 20 minutes away from what's it called? The Tottenham Stadium. Oh really? He was 20 minutes away from it. Ooh, that's cool. And he could like see it. Oh, cool. Where um, where were you eating breakfast at? Who were you with? Um, bus thingy. With Gam and Gamp? Yeah. Oh, nice. Bus thingy, that's what it's called? He pretended to pass that. What happened to Burnley's goal? How'd they score? Off a corner kick, header into the goal. Oh, that's hard to block. That was a great header. That's really hard to block. How can they? Harry Kane's just standing like 20 feet 